Thanks for checking out this episode of the Jambase podcast. Jambase is the partner of Osiris Media, the podcast network for music. I'm Andy Kahn, and on this episode, we'll hear my interview with Tim Heidecker, who I spoke to earlier today about his terrific new album, High School. We'll get to my chat with Tim in a moment, right after we hear a bit about the sponsors of this episode. This episode is sponsored by Psychedelic Art Exchange. Psychedelic Art Exchange is the premier source to buy, sell, and learn about vintage concert posters. Explore decades worth of exciting collectible concert art from the 1960s to the modern day, featuring the Grateful Dead, Fish, and many more of your favorite bands and artists. Be on the lookout for Jambase's four-part series detailing the history of concert posters, and head over to concertpostergallery.com to explore their expanding online store or to bid on vintage rarities in one of their twice-monthly auctions. Happy collecting! This episode is sponsored by So Far Sounds. So Far Sounds is a global community of music lovers creating space where music matters. So Far invites guests to discover new artists, places, and people, whether at home or abroad, in over 400 cities around the world. Now integrated with Jambase's concert listings, So Far shows transform everyday spaces, from living rooms and rooftops, to boutiques and museums, into captivating venues for secret live shows, creating inclusive experiences that bring people closer together. Each So Far features different musical styles, and you won't know who's performing until they take the stage. Once they do, you just might fall in love. Previous So Far performances have featured Ben Gibbard, Lucius, Leon Bridges, Beirut, Billie Eilish, Moses Sumney, Soccer Mommy, and many other talented musicians from around the globe, including previous Jambase podcast guests, Sylvanesso, Krungman, Anderson East, and Tank and the Bangas. So Far keeps the location secret until the day before the show. The So Far community creates an inclusive space where music matters so that you can get lost in the performance. Locations of So Far experiences have taken place in such unexpected spots as under an airplane in the Aeronautical Museum in Spain, at a climbing gym in Houston, between the barrels in a distillery in Boulder, Colorado, as well as in New York City at a volleyball court, in the engine room at the Kellam Island Museum in Sheffield, England, and in libraries, apartments, amusement parks, and countless other cool spots around the world. To learn more about So Far Sounds, visit SoFarSounds.com or search Jambase to find a So Far Sounds event happening near you. Hey, have you gotten your tickets to As Summer and Autumn Slips yet? As Summer and Autumn Slips is a two-day event Jambase is presenting at Soundcheck Studios in Pembroke, Massachusetts on October 7th and 8th. Come hang with me and Team Jambase and see live performances by Jacob Fred Jazz Odyssey, the Marco Benevento Trio, Club Delph, William Tyler, and Wolf featuring Scott Metzger. It promises to be an exciting weekend full of live music. Visit summerandautumnslips.com for details and to purchase tickets. All right. Now let's get to my interview with Tim Heidecker, who I chatted with over a video call we had earlier this morning. Many of you listening may be familiar with Tim from his comedy work with Eric Warheim. They met while attending college at Temple University in Philadelphia and went on to create the widely popular comedy duo, Tim and Eric. In addition to his Tim and Eric work, Heidecker has also appeared in several feature films, including Bridesmaids, The Comedy, and Us. Heidecker is the host of the Office Hours podcast and recently completed a tour with his backing band, the Very Good Band. Each show on the tour began with a set of comedy performed by Tim's self-described No More Bullshit stand-up character, followed by a set with the live band. I wanted to talk to Tim because his new album, High School, is one of my favorites of the year, if not my favorite. It came out in July on the always great Space Bomb record label, and I've been listening to it regularly ever since. As I told Tim, I was a bit hesitant about checking out his musical output since I'm not the biggest fan of mixing comedy with music. But high school isn't meant to be a comedic record. 
And while it has a sense of humor, its intent is not supposed to really make you laugh. High school is about just that, high school. And I began my interview with Tim by asking him about his experiences in high school. We talked about his musical mentors and what kind of music he listened to back then. We also discussed his family's musical background and its influences on his taste. Tim and I also talked about some of his comedic influences and whether there was any overlap between them and the music that he was listening to. We covered his approach to writing the songs that became high school and how the concept to mine that era of his life came to the surface. The interview also touched on how high school was recorded, starting from an early session with Tim's longtime collaborator, Foxygen's Jonathan Rado. Those early demos with Rado were fleshed out with the assistance of Drew Erickson, whose resume includes Father John Misty, Lana Del Rey, Angel Olsen, and many, many others. Erickson worked with Tim on his 2020 album, Fear of Death, that featured Wiseblood's Natalie Mary. Tim explained that it was Erickson's idea that they hit up Mac DeMarco, who appears extensively throughout high school. Mac invited them to his studio, and those sessions unexpectedly became the basis for the album. Mac's guitar playing is seriously fantastic. Two-time Jambase podcast guest Eric D. Johnson of Fruit Bats and Bonnie Light Horseman was then brought in to help Tim complete the tracks started with Drew and Mac. Eric's tasteful embellishments are among the most integral aspects of the album, and his high-register vocals are typically sublime. Guitarist Kurt Vile also contributed to the track Sirens of Titan, which is one of a few songs on high school dotted with cultural references that I found especially relatable to and helped make this album feel so immediately connected. I highly recommend connecting with Tim Heidecker's new album. High School is out now on the Spacebomb record label. Now here's my interview with Tim Heidecker, which we'll lead into with the high school opening track, Buddy. Buddy, I've been thinking about you. And all of the shit that Tim Heidecker, and I'm really excited to get to talk to you about High School, your new album that's out now. Uh, Tim, it's it's one of my favorite albums of the years, honestly. I've been, oh, I've thank been you. really enthralled by it. Um, I, I, I found it very relatable. A lot of the imagery and the songs, the cultural references, uh, but also the sound of the record is really captivating. I, I think like it, 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 it's all around just a very consistent but but varied record. Um, there's a great vibe to it. Uh, so, I, I, so again, I'm just really excited to get to talk to you about it today, man. Thanks. I, I, I enjoy talking about it. <laughs> Good. Um, but I, I want to start first by actually asking you about high school. The, the record is, is called high school. It's a lot about that era of your life. And, and so where did you go to high school? I went to central Ca Allentown, central Catholic high school in, uh, Allentown, Pennsylvania. Okay. And, and you graduated in 94? 94, yeah. Okay. So that puts you about five years older than me. But again, like 
I know that era, you know, that was, I, I was, yeah. I was a freshman maybe when you were a senior, you know? Um, yeah. We're swimming and, and, in the same waters. Exactly. Did, do you think about that time in your life often? Well, I didn't, I, I really hadn't for, in any kind of serious way for a, a long time. I, I felt that, uh, college was kind of the, the, uh, part of my life where I, I, met, you know, really key people in my life, Eric, mostly, um, mm -hmm. uh, and other close friends and, and that period after college. And, um, and, you know, I think for years you kind of just, and, and nothing, I, there was no trauma or anything sort of worth repressing. It was just, um, kind of a part of my life that I moved on from and didn't really reflect on all that much. Um, you know, I think until fairly recently. Yeah, I was thinking about that because it's interesting that, you know, for so many 20-something-year-olds, their first records is really informed by yeah. their high school years. And for you as a 40-something-year-old, going back and looking at it, 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 you have much more perspective on that time. Yeah, I I, I think I... Um, I through writing the record uh, and and really starting to work on the record, I and this is almost always the case, I don't really know what direction it's going to take and what the themes are going to be. But as I started a few songs that were, that were kind of coming out of nowhere, um, thinking about that part of my life, it encouraged me to, to kind of think and reflect on that period. And, and all sorts of stuff came up that I hadn't thought about in a while mostly cultural stuff, but also just kind of, uh, who I was at that time and who I wanted to be, what I wanted to do. And, and, and um, yeah, it was just, it was, it was interesting to, to think back about me as a 16, 17 year old doing what I do now and where, you know, how some, some of that is certainly where I wanted to be when I was that age. And some of it's very different. How would you describe yourself in high school? Like, did you have a particular group or a clique? Yeah, I was, I, 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 I kind of think of myself a little bit like Ferris Bueller a little bit, like okay. in the, it, just in the sense that I, I had like different, I had friends in different groups of, of people. I was, uh, I was into theater. So I had a sort of theater group of friends or I, and a lot of them were older and kind of, um, certainly not uh, in high school, some were, you know, full adults that were in the theater department, uh, theater program that I was in. Uh, and then I had music friends. Um, but I was kind of friendly with most of the kids and groups, uh, as far as I can remember. Uh, I had this sort of, uh, our high school had a cable access kind of style, closed circuit morning TV show. And mm -hmm. I, got on that in my senior year and, and started doing kind of sketches and, 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 you know, comedy things in the morning. So, uh, I kind of got everybody, I was in everybody's classroom, you know, in the morning. So <laughs> yeah, I was okay. like a little, uh, local celebrity in the hallways. Were you listening to a lot of music in high school? Uh, oh yeah. I mean, I, I was a sort of in eighth, ninth grade, got into, the Beatles and the, and the classic rock, uh, mm -hmm. you know, idiom that all, all the, the greats. And, and then I, I liked, 
I, you know, I was in the, the, where I grew up, there was a lot of, um, punk and hardcore. Uh, that was kind of what the, the people my age were doing musically for the most part, but I, I never connected with that music so much, but I liked, um, you know, in high school, it was hard for me to, I liked the smashing pumpkins, I think. And I liked certain, uh, kind of grunge, grungy, but, you know, I leaned always kind of more towards the mel the melodic stuff and the, um, not pop per se, but, you know, um, stuff with riffs and, and, um, it, it was, it wasn't a ton of new stuff that I liked, but in college, I kind of, you know, bands like pavement and Radiohead and, um, the Matador records, you know, like Yolo sure. Tango and, and, you know, guided by voices. I, I've, I found, I think late, late high school, early college, I kind of found that world of indie rock and, and that connected with me. Cause you know, the, I remember actually in high school, the, the pavements record crooked rain, crooked rain, mm -hmm. um, connected with me. Cause it did, it, it kind of was a, it felt like the, the, you know, it felt like something from exile and main street or something. It felt, it felt like rock, you know, it felt yeah. kind of dirty and, but also with melodies and, um, good song structure and stuff. So I kind of found a bridge there between my love of the sixties and seventies stuff with what, you know, young, younger, more kind of, uh, uh, you know, current music was, was doing. So you mentioned you were in theater. When did you start playing instruments? Um, I probably like 13 or 14, I would, uh, took some guitar lessons. My cousin played a good, a couple of good friends of mine played and, and we started, you know, little bands and, um, I, my, I, we had a piano so I could, uh, play the piano a little bit, took some piano lessons and, um, and I, my grandmother, my mother's side could play by ear. So she had a piano and she would, uh, kind of show me little things. And, and I figured out, you know, it's not as hard as it sometimes seems, especially if you're just playing kind of simple things or, or simple pop, you know, rock songs. Like it's not it's the trickiest thing to figure out the structure, you know, it's funny you say that. Cause I've seen you play and it does look easy. Like, it looks like it comes easy to you a lot of the times, like, uh, or even like well, on office hours sometimes, you know, when you guys are talking, yeah. it, the way that you talk, it seems like you just, it, it clicks for you. Yeah. I mean, I think like most the songs, the kind of songs I like, um, you know, they're not terribly complicated, you know, mm -hmm. um, I couldn't like fake along with like a, you know, a rush song or something, but, um, you know, your general kind of pop rock almost, you know, folk structure is generally going to be based around three or four chords. And once you kind of learn the, how they all relate to each other and how, you know, as long as you know what key it's in, you can fake it around. So, you know, I'm not at all, uh, you know, a virtuoso or I, I, I'm, I'm pretty, I'm still pretty basic when it comes to, um, technique and playing, uh, you know, solos and stuff, but I can fake it enough to play with people. Besides your grandma, were there other family members that were musical? Was music a big part of your upbringing? Well, my dad loved music. He didn't play anything. He couldn't sing or anything, but he loved 
the era of music that he grew up in. So there was a lot of Beatles and uh, Dylan uh, and oldies, you know, because he grew up mm -hmm. in the 50s and, you know, he was a teenager in the 50s. And so a lot of um, a lot of just basic, you know, fundamental uh, rock, rock and roll and folk music from that era. And, this, you know, singer songwriters, Cat Stevens and Paul Simon and uh, those people that was always being played. My mom was musical. She couldn't really play anything, but she would write little songs for us as kids. And, you know, mm -hmm. so music was, was always a big deal in, in our house. And were they supportive of you? Like, did they encourage you to, when, when you started showing an interest? Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, they encouraged the music lessons, but you know, not, nothing too strict about, about it. Mm -hmm. If we didn't want to do me and my sister, if we didn't want to do something, uh, you know, to some degree, there would be room to not do it. But um, yeah, they knew that I was, I was fairly hyperactive and, and, and a little, you know, chaotic, uh, chaotic brain that wanted to make, you know, do plays in the basement and make videos and dress up and, um, and theater and music were great, you know, outlets for that, for that energy. Did you listen to music that was like humorous in nature? Like, do you, did you, were you into Zappa or like, like I never and continue to not be into Zappa, but I, um, uh, <laughs> I like, uh, I like, of course I loved weird Al. I think he was, you uh -huh. know, I had all the weird Al tapes and, uh, and loved that. I, um, you know, I, lo I loved They might be giants. I thought there was a lot of great humor in that. Sure. And uh, in high school, I was into them and, um, you know, I like ween, um, you know, there's not a lot, it's just, it's a really hard thing to do. I'm, I think there's like, there's like a lot of humor in the Beatles music, um, mm -hmm. you know, that, that I'm, every once in a while, I just like hear something like, oh, that is actually kind of funny. I was listening to like drive my car the other day. And like that song is, is like a comedy. It's like a, it's like, a, there's like literally a joke at the end. Right. about like, well, this person doesn't have a car, but she's got a driver, you know? It's like, mm -hmm. so like, I think it's in a lot, it's certainly in Dylan's early stuff. Um, his kind right. of uh, Woody Guthrie era kind of stuff. So it's a, it's a fine line. I think it's, I struggle with it and uh, you know, it's really got a, sometimes when it's forced or something, it just feels a little, you know, corny or something, but it, it was, I didn't think of them as like the same that, that I didn't, I thought of them as two separate things, comedy and music, I guess. But, you know, I mean, Monty Python did great. And then it was just, there's, mm -hmm. there's great use of music in comedy. And we always did that with Tim and Eric and stuff. So, um, but, but no, I, I was never a, a Zappa guy, I guess. What about sort of <laughs> in the other way? Um, were there, were, were your comedic influences, were they musical? Like, is like, like somebody like Steve Martin. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I didn't really think of, I guess I never thought of Steve Martin musically until much later as he sort of like took the banjo, you mm -hmm. know, bluegrass stuff more seriously, but I loved Steve Martin. Um, and I, you know, I think somebody like, uh, 
later in life, I you know found Randy Newman and found his seventies work to be like the key to understanding how to kind of deftly combine those two brains. That makes sense. That makes sense. But I wouldn't necessarily think of Randy Newman immediately when I hear your music. But oh, that's good. I've heard it quite a bit. I mean, not really on this new record, but I, yeah. I've, I've, I, I can tend to go into his mode pretty, you know, if almost if I'm lazy, I can, I can kind of dip into his, his, uh, singing style and, and, you know, kind of bluesy, uh, uh, way he constructs songs. There aren't many people, like you mentioned, there aren't really many people that kind of do this sort of thing that you're doing with, especially like with high school, with how uh, I'll use the word sincere or yeah. genuine it is. And and I, I'm, I'm sure you're maybe a little bit sick of hearing that with no. regard to this. Okay. Uh, but, but, um, the fact that there's, there's not sort of anybody else that does this, do you... Do you find that you have to convince people in a different way? Like, I'm not really that big of a fan of quote unquote humorous music. Yeah. And when I heard you were putting out a record I, a couple of years ago, I was a little bit hesitant. Yeah. Like, it was like, is this going to be silly? Is it going to be an Adam Sandler record? Yeah. And that's not what you do. So, so are you, how do you compartmentalize those two things? And is that become a hurdle for you? Well, I, I take the songwriting fairly seriously. Um, and I think about the words and I think about what they mean and what kind of message I'm trying to get across, what kind of story I'm trying to tell. And I know what I want kind of the end product to look like or feel like. Um, I think all the records I've done are fairly, you know, conceptual. They're, they're loosely kind of arranged in a certain theme with a certain theme. And, um, I'm a fan of those kind of records. That's what I aim to do musically. And so that's the, that's like the creative process part of it. Um, and then there's the perception and the, and the, and the way I speak about it and the way other writers speak about it. Um, and I think some of that's out of my control, but the stuff I can control is really just to talk honestly about it with people like you and NPR, whoever I'm talking to and not try to make it more confusing than it needs to be. Um, and just kind of trust that people will, uh, figure it out. Uh, you know, enough, if enough people figure it out, I get to keep doing it. Um, and I think, you know, uh, about nine, 10 years ago, I started uh, kind of a this phase of my career, which is doing um, more honest and more um, straightforward music that wasn't meant to be funny. It can certainly be funny in certain places, but it's not the joke. Isn't that it's that I'm doing it, um, and and I knew that it would just take a while for that to register with people if it you know if the songs were good enough and you know the and there were people enjoyed them, then I was, I thought it would be interesting, you know, that people could, you know, engage with my work on different levels, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Th this is something that you, you know, you do have different 
personas. Yeah. Right. Is this, is this a persona or is this you shedding personas? Uh, I think it's both in the sense that I think anytime anybody puts something out into the world, they're presenting a version of themselves. They're presenting a version of what they want people to see. Um, but I'm not in a character and I'm not, uh, and, and it is, uh, maybe the, as close as, as you would get to how I see the world or think about things, um, in any given moment. And, uh, so, so it's, it's definitely not a persona in a, or it's not, it's not a character that's doing this, but there, I always just think with everybody, there are different, you know, different sides to yourself that you reveal as you make art and, and music and, and write and talk about things. It's a natural filter, right? Like what you're yeah. putting out is filtered through whatever medium it's coming through Yeah, and but, how it's but being lyri presented. Yeah. Lyrically it's lyrically it's, you know, uh, certainly you exaggerate and you, you often sometimes tell stories in the voice of another person. Um, and, and so, sometimes those, uh, that can get confusing, but, uh, you try to be clear about that in the way the song is written, you know, but, um, but in general, I think, you know, it's the kind of, the music is, is sincere. The, the arrangements are, are as I would like them to be for my own pleasure, you know? Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. They, they don't sound campy, you know, they don't sound inauthentic, you know, yeah. there's a, there's a, there's a trueness to what you're trying to do. And, and it, it makes it again, I'll use the word gen, genuine. It sounds yeah. like you're, like you're, you're, you're not trying to make me laugh at the end. There isn't a punchline. Yeah. And, and I think some of the trick of that is as a, as a, someone that, as someone that loves, you know, the production style and the arrangements of the sixties and seventies, um, the challenge is to not try to make a pastiche or try to make something uh, that's just a, you know, retro sounding replica of, you know, music from big pink or something mm -hmm. uh, is to, is to try to grow it a little bit. And, um, but I do, but you know, the challenges, I like that kind of, I like the way those records sound and sometimes uh, it's okay to, to, but you just don't want to make some kind of, you know, uh, you don't want it to feel like, oh, is this a parody of like a seventies singer songwriter right. records? Like, no, but I do like that style. So, um, which I think I'm, I'm, I think there's growth with the new record because it doesn't feel fully, you know, cemented in a, in an older sounding sound, even though, I mean, it's, I feel like I'm, I'm, uh, I've introduced like the eighties into my musical palette. <laughs> yes. But yeah, so I still have a long ways to go. I'm not doing like auto tune and and trap <laughs> trap beats and stuff. But right, right. That'll be uh, two more records from now. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so when did you start writing the songs that that are on high school? Uh, it's getting it's getting hard to say now. I think 2020. Uh, I had some of the songs probably just kind of in my songs folder. Uh, from the last record, Fear of Death, and, and after that, probably a couple of songs that didn't make it or were in in sort of transit, you know, still being worked on. But I think in 2020, came back from Tim and Eric 
tour that ended just about a week before the pandemic. And so I was just kind of home and uh, down in my garage uh, playing music and writing music. And um, it was, it was around then. And I, you know, talked to my music manager about, we had, we were, you know, going to be putting out fear of death that year, but we were definitely not going to be touring it um, because of the pandemic. And Mm -hmm. um, so he, he just was like, well, you know, take the time to write and work on some music. So I think I kind of dipped in and out of that for a little while. And once I had what I thought was a pretty, I don't even know if, you know, when we recorded, if I knew exactly what everything was going to be about and what, what the, you know, struck, what the kind of theme of the record was going to be. But, um, it kind of became pretty clear after, uh, after like, you know, half the record was done. So there wasn't like an initial seed that was planted that said, all right, I'm going to, I'm going to kind of follow this through line. I think the seed was in the song, but I didn't, you know, the first song that I probably properly wrote for buddy for uh, high school is buddy. And that was the first song where I was like, I didn't, you know, when I write, I'm often uh, like, you know, sort of subconsciously or unconsciously writing, singing and, and saying words that, uh, you know, sometimes don't work and don't make any sense. And sometimes it's kind of like, oh, interesting. Mm-hmm. I didn't know I was thinking about that. And so when you have a moment like that and I start singing about a friend who I hadn't thought about for a while and and that led me, that kind of like was the the breadcrumbs towards the other songs that made you, made me think more consciously about that period and more, you know, with a with more of a focus to explore that, that period. And so then I, that gives me kind of an assignment, you know, that kind of like gives mm-hmm. me a focus to, to work on, on, you know, cr- I think in creating stuff, it's really good to have some boundaries and direction so that you're not just throwing everything up against the wall, but you have kind of a plan to to shape something that will be one day real. So when you decided to explore that period and, and really examine it, did, did specific stories surface that you wanted to tell? I, I, like uh, punch in the gut comes to mind. They said, come on your own. Just you after lunch in the parking lot. We're gonna settle this one on one. But he never wanted to punch no one, never wanted to land that punch in the gut, never wanted to cross across the chin, never wanted to commit that particular sin. Yeah, so those, the, that, that I think punch in the gut, chilling in Alaska, mm-hmm. um, and some of what we did with our time were just, mo- you know, that was the product of me sort of thinking about those times, and those were all, you know, to some degree, uh, experiences I had where I, 
you know, used them at least to start telling a story or, or writing the song. No, nothing's ever literally as it happened, but, um, yeah, that, that, and, and, and also, uh, uh, Sirens of Titan, well, it's not really a story. It's just, it's, it's very specific details about, about that period of my life that mm-hmm. I really didn't think of, I hadn't thought about for 20 years. Um, and, uh, thought it was, yeah, I thought it was a, uh, sort of territory I hadn't really explored and, and, you know, references and, um, experiences that were felt, I, I, you know, I think I've realized this after, but like you said earlier, you connected to it. And I, I think uh, what I, the byproduct was kind of like, oh yeah, this is connecting with people a little more than maybe some other things. Cause because of the specificity of it. And mm-hmm. even if you didn't have those exact same experiences, you had experiences close to them. And, um, you know, I think that's one of the great things that art can do is, is connect us together. So, I mean, I saw Vonnegut in college, man. Like I had yeah. some like exact same experiences, you yeah. know, like the, some of the stuff was like, all, like out of my biography. Yeah. <laughs> it, was, it was really like, uh, incredible in that way. Um, you mentioned Sirens of Titan, Kurt Viles on that. I want to talk yeah. about some of the some of the people that contributed to this. Now, what was Kurt's role on the album? Is he just on that track? Yeah, Kurt, I had become buddies with, and uh, and and he, I'd sent him my first, uh, not my, but the last record, uh, Fear of Death, kind of early, as it was still in a rough mix stage, and um, he just uh, is a big like you know cheerleader for me doing music, and I think he. Um, likes my comedy of, of course, but I mean, that's where, it, <laughs> that's where it starts. Sure. And, uh, you know, he's just like a cool dude. And I, I loved his latest record and I loved mm-hmm. his last few records. And, and I was thinking about him and sort of listening to him as I was writing that song. And sometimes I'll do that where you kind of put yourself in the headspace of another artist and, and use that as a way to get in and, so I sent him this record and he dug it and was, and really pointed to that one as being like, that song's great. And, um, and I just, you know, it's, it's great, you know, with Natalie, uh, Wiseblood on, on fear of death. Um, it showed that, you know, it's nice. It's a good, you know, it's a good strategic move to have a few people from that world kind of validating and, um, you know, signing on to what I'm up to, uh, which really opens you up to a lot of their fans. And it opens up to people that were that, like, you know, you said, are kind of unsure about the seriousness of this. So, but I also kind of was like, could hear him on it, you know, as one of those natural, mm-hmm. like, oh man, if you and I were both kind of trading off lyrics and stuff, and if you could solo on this, that would be so cool. So he was just here in LA doing his record and came over to the house. I, we had pretty much finished the track, um, and left a a nice little hole for his, his solo and just had him run it, you know, half a dozen times and played around and then, and then, you know, folded it in. I have to ask you one question about that, a lyric in that song. Uh, I know everything's not biographical, but were you really fiscally conservative before college? Yeah. I mean, I, I would, that's kind of a funny way to say it's kind of a very specific come a way long to say way, it, Tim. but yeah, I, you know, I, I grew up in a, in a, uh, my, I would say my family, I say fiscally conservative because I, th- my family were 
my parents were were very open-minded and progressive when it came to a lot of issues. Um, but they were also, you know, small business owners who, if you can believe, if younger people can believe, there was a time when there were kind of reasonable, fairly reasonable uh, Republicans out there. Right. Um, not, you know, dis- you could disagree with them on policy and issues, but they uh, had just a different view of the role of, you know, government in people's lives. Um, and, you know, up till high school, I just kind of identified with, with them or, you know, I kind of, I don't know, I wasn't very serious or active about it. Um, but if you ask me what my political philosophy at that age, 13 or 14, I would have probably said, yeah, I'm, um, I don't like, uh, Bill Clinton and big government and, um, you know, I support the troops and, you know, just kind of the, mm-hmm. the party mm-hmm. line. Um, but, you know, I think when, when you go to college, uh, you become a little more educated and a little more, uh, indoctrinated for real, you know, you get, yeah. You, yeah. in a way you just get, you get turned on to all kinds of alternate histories and, you know, reading like the Howard Zinn books and, and meeting a meeting a much more diverse, wider range of people, um, and and living in Philadelphia, living in the city, and seeing uh, how you know uh, hard it was for the poor communities there, and yeah, so it was it was like a, it was, and you just meet just meeting people and getting other people's perspectives and stuff. Uh, event you know sort of cooled that that perspective and and you know made me a little more you know, made for some interesting debates at home. And, and I just just sort of just, you know, it it got, it got too contentious at some point. And then it just became not something we need to talk about because there's no point, you know, that happens sometimes for sure. For sure. Eric D. Johnson, Fruit Bats, friend yeah. of the Jam Base podcast. I've talked to Eric a couple nice. of times. He's a great dude, man. Uh, yeah. uh, he is all over the record though, right? Yeah. So the 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 story of making the record, uh, to jump ahead to the next person you'll probably mention is Mark De- <laughs> Mac DeMarco. I know, well, I know. I'm working backwards from my notes. Yeah. So <laughs> it, it kind of needs to start with that because I, I originally, it's a long and winding road, which a lot of, I think my musical projects are because- it's 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 a little hard to uh, plan for how to do these things. Uh, sometimes sure. things just happen. Um, but I started by going to Jonathan Rado, who I had done a lot of stuff with, and um, 
he had produced not the last record, but the one before, but he's always kind of around my music in different ways. And I had about four or five, four or five songs that I was psyched about and, and went to him to sort of talk to him about it and demo a few things. And, and he really set me on this course of the Lindrum, this dr- the old seventies drum machine, very famous, mm-hmm. um, used by Prince a lot, used by a lot of people. But we had this sort of thought or of, of kind of thinking about this record as, as sort of like Bruce Springsteen's uh, Tunnel of Love or, you know, these other um, kind of, you know, Full Moon Fever a little bit, like just sort of the work ethic of, uh, you know, whereas the last record had a lot of people on it, a lot of sounds, a lot of live playing. So let's make this a smaller, more like garage record that is kind of producer and artist kind of building it together. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So we, he loaded up the Lindrum and played piano and I played guitar and we made a couple of demos and it was like, Oh, this is a cool, this is a cool new sound. This has a different vibe. Um, and so, but he got busy. I called Drew Erickson who um, had really put together the fear of death record with me and, does stuff with everybody, Father John Misty and Angel Olson. He's super talented uh, keyboardist and arranger. And I was like, can you, I think I know how to make the record because basically it's the Lindrum and then we could build from there. Um, And he came over and we did like one day and he's like, you know what? Um, I was talking to Mac DeMarco and he's, he's not doing anything right now. I was going to do something with him, but do you want to just go over there? next week and we can do everything there because he's got everything at his place and i was like great i knew mac just a little bit i didn't i wasn't like close or anything but um if he wants to have me over that would be awesome and we went over there and kind of i don't think mac realized that we were just going to make a record together i think he was thought like he was just going to help and then as we started doing it uh it it just became really fun and uh, we, we just blasted through it, you know, and, and Mac and Eric are so, uh, talented and, and quick to learn and play that it, it moved really quick. You know, we were able to basically do the whole record in, I don't know, a week, less than a week, um, just kind of three songs a day. And I had them pretty well figured out in my head and, uh, but, but what happened was, and, you know, Mac is just playing these beautiful solos and tasteful stuff so good man yeah and 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 drew's over there with the moog and this this uh yamaha uh cs80 or whatever it is it's just like you know crazy it's like the keyboard they used for all the blade runner score and um just finding all the like really quickly finding like oh this is the sound of the record a little bit Mm -hmm. coming in um which, you know, my other records didn't really have much synth on them. And so I was kind of like, cool, this is kind of a new thing. But what, hap- what happened was we got, I got everything. I got all the stems and, um, and it was just kind of unmixed and unfinished. You know, I had to do vocals and I had to fig- figure out some, some spots that needed things. And it just wasn't done, you know, and I sent it to my manager and and they were kind of like, yeah, it sounds good. And I was like, yeah, but it's just not great. You know, it's just kind of, it, of course it needs to be mixed, but it needs more love. You know, it needs more kind of dressing. Um, and so they said, why don't we send it to, I knew Eric from years and years ago. 
he, he was in the shins and I knew him when he was in the shins and I said, why don't you, um, let me send it to Eric and see if he has any thoughts or if he has any like uh, ideas on, on how to kind of wrap this up and make it sound better. And um, he, he got it and we had a phone call and I really just thought the phone call was going to be kind of like, yeah, man, it's great. And, you know, I would, I would suggest this or I would suggest that, you know, mm-hmm. but he was like, I love this record. I love these songs. I love your lyrics. And, um, I I'm listening to it and I have so many ideas about how to, you know, tie it all together and yeah. how to musically tie it together. Why don't you send me everything? Um, send me all the stems and I'm just going to dig in and I've got <laughs> a few weeks. It was another case of like, I've got a few weeks, um, you know, let me just, uh, play with these, but he was very quick and focused about what he thought it needed. And and, you know, I knew what it needed. It needed his, I needed, it needed, you know, backing vocals and it needed some percussion and it needed little, you know, those little things, the little sparkly things that make great or even good records sound real and sound, you know, finished. So it was just this great couple of weeks where every day he would, we would have a little chat or he would not even chat. He would just send me uh, a rough mix. And I would just get this Christmas present, you know, <laughs> emailed to me and I would be like, this is great. Oh my God, you've, you're doing, you're putting it all together. And he's, his, his voice really worked really well with mine. And, uh, and it was just, it was just lovely that he kind of gave himself to this for a couple of weeks to see it through. And, um, you know, it all worked together with what Mac and Drew had kind of set up the core of yeah. it. Was there a lot of back and forth between you and Eric? Like when he gave you something, then were, was it like sick, dude? Or were, were you yeah, kind of I mean, back I and think forth? There, I, can't, I can't think of, I'm sure there was a couple of back and forths and I would, you know, he would tell me like, all right, um, if you could record your vocals on this one, this one, this one, if you could uh, do a, a, an acoustic guitar pass on this one, this one, this one. Um, double track it, send me the stems, uh-huh. you know, we just were bouncing some tracks back and forth. Um, but his instincts are so good. I was just thrilled. You know, he just elevated everything and and there was very little, I don't think if any major disagreements about anything, it was a couple of like, yeah, I don't know. I think, or, you know, uh, oh, your vocal, your, your backing vocal should come back here. You like, oh yeah, yeah, sure. Of course. Why didn't I do that? It was yeah, that yeah. kind of stuff. It was just very very instinctual and, and a good flow. Your voices sound so terrific together, man. Like I, I Thank love you. The, the parts that he added and, and Max guitar playing. I, I mentioned it before, but like, it's just so good. It, it's like uh, so many different songs. It's like, what is he doing on the, you know, it's like, yeah. Yeah. It, and it just happens. I don't know how it happened. I mean, he just is, is so locked in and, uh, you know, there wasn't a lot of discussion. There was just kind of like first in, first instincts or, you know, um, dropping in. And again, I, I was telling my uh, bass player, I'm like, I think my songs are fun for other musicians to be around because they are fairly simple. And I try to keep them simple because then that gives so much space and room for people to contribute. And mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. and as I'm writing my new record, I'm like, not I'm trying to keep them simple and 
know that when people come and and play on them that they're going to they're going to be the next they're going to add that that secret sauce to make them special you know and it's making my mind wander back to yesterday to another time in another place when a cousin of mine took my girl away another time in another place when a cousin of mine took my girl away so you're writing a new record yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I I was just on tour and we were playing everywhere, and I was we were on the bus, and um, Ellie, our bass player, uh, brought this great little acoustic kind of practice old practice guitar with her, and and I just pick it up, and it and she was like, you know, that that guitar is special. There's like some songs in that guitar, like just kind That's of cool. the way it plays yeah. and the way it, you know, it's one of those guitars, and um, and it was true. I just would kind of in my downtime, right. And sort of, and then, you know, sound checking with the band and, and playing with them, uh, when we were waiting around and, uh, just, you know, songs started to come up and I got back from tour. I was very excited about keeping this band together and, um, making, going into the studio with them and, you know, writing with them. And, and, uh, and so I would come down here and, and work on songs and they start piling up, you know, and I don't know exactly, again, I'm at the place where I don't exactly know what shape it's going to take. Um, but so, there are so a few a good theme ones hasn't, that I'm excited a theme hasn't, about. Uh, sorry to interrupt. Well, a, I mean, th- you know, in, a, in, in the, in its early stages, I'm trying to figure this out because I would say there's probably four or five songs that are fairly narrative driven that take the perspective from kind of a, a apocalyptic or post-apocalyptic uh, yeah. world um, and just sort of telling little stories from points of view of people that are kind of going through uh, a, a world changing event or, or after something terrible has happened. Uh, so they're not exactly uh, sing-alongs, uh, <laughs> super happy songs. But and then there are just some that aren't that don't fit that model at all that are just kind of more personal or more, um, you know, specific to something I'm thinking about. So I don't know if I want to go full on, you know, post-apocalyptic concept album mm-hmm. or some kind of mix. But I'm not really worried about it yet. I think you know you kind of figure that stuff out later with the title and the art. And right. certainly, high school isn't entirely just like a high school musical. No. Uh, not reference at all, no. to the actual yeah well and there's but, also but yeah i think there's part of it that's like definitely from your perspective now of like yeah you know thinking about yourself now as it relates to that person that was in high school uh, and yeah it's, and some of that is do is you doing that in your head not so much me planning it so there's sure. there's there's uh it, it, it there's some stuff that's not super planned and sort of happy accidents that happen that that tie things together, but we'll see. I think the first step is to just kind of like play these songs with the band and, and see what's really working and what's not and keep, maybe just keep writing. Cause there's not a huge rush, but it is this weird time where it takes so long to put a record out. 
Right. You know, with the physical production and everything yeah, that yeah. you feel like, oh man, I just put a record out, but well, you better start working on another one. Cause by the time it comes out, it's going to be two, two years gone by, you know? Definitely. So I don't want to, I, there, there's that thing of, uh, I, my, I think my favorite quote, uh, one of my favorite quotes about music and, or anything creative really is in the get back movie, which is not in, it's actually not in the get back movie, but it's on one of those Niagara reels as mm-hmm. Paul's talking to, I think he's talking to the director and he's just says like work begets inspiration. And he, he means that, you know, you can't just sit around and wait for inspiration, do work, you know, like sit, make something and inevitably you get something out of it, you know, yeah. whether at some point it turns and you, you don't know. I watched that Bowie documentary and he was talking about um, just going into the studio without anything. And that, that is a luxury of, of somebody that has that, you know, that money and um, that success. But the idea of like, I'm not really going to worry about the idea coming, come, but I have to be, I have to work and get into a creative place where it's going to come. So I guess just to say, um, I could say I'll just keep writing songs whenever, but what I should say is I will work on this on on some kind of regular basis until I have something I want to put out. Do you think you're going to do more touring with the band? You mentioned that you kind of, you know, you like what's going on with them. Yeah. I, we're all like, I mean, I want to, you know, you got to do it the right way. I want to do it in a, in a, way we don't burn ourselves out with an audience or with ourselves mm-hmm. or be away too long from my home and family. But we had a, just an absolutely fantastic experience this summer. Everybody in the band, I think just said, when can we do this again? And, uh, you know, please block us out as soon as you can. So we don't have to take any other jobs and, mm-hmm. you know, um, the, it we'll see, I think, you know, there's, we're talking about what next year, could what we could do next year going to Europe and um, you know, there's definitely places to play for me in the UK and we kind of want to try to break into the mainland continent. Uh, mm-hmm. There are a lot of cities we didn't play on the tour in the, in America last year. There's Australia. You know, I, I think I loved it. I love continuing to uh, get better at doing it. The audiences seem to have a great time. I think most of the people at the shows were like, when are you doing this again? You know, I would, I kind of want to make it like, uh, you know, what, what, you know, speaking to jam bass, I look at the dead and fish and bands like that who have made this kind of summer touring thing, yeah. um, a real experience for people. And I think the show we put together is a real, is really, well, it's very different than those two groups. It, it's, it's very fun and it's very, um, it's got, dynamics to it with the, especially if I continue to do the comedy with the music, it's, you know, and no, no disrespect to your average indie rock band, but what our show is in two hours is way more diverse in its, you know, in the kinds of, uh, you know, the kind of reaction you're going to have to it than I think a band coming out and playing 15 songs or whatever. Well, Tim, the similarity between what you do and say the Grateful Dead and Fish is there's a trust between you and your fans. 
They yeah. are the they are showing up and they're willing to let you try something different, to try something unexpected, to to do something that is unusual and different from the night before and unique to that yeah. situation and it's not always going to work. Sometimes it's good, you know, sometimes it's not, yeah. some nights are going to be better than others. You know, you're, there, there's an yeah. improvisational aspect to it. So I, I, I mean, honestly, I see a lot of similarities in, in that, in, in, in the, specifically in the live act and like, in what you're doing with mixing the, the comedy set and, and, and the persona that you, you have there and then coming out and, yeah. and putting on an earnest hour and a half of music. It's, it, it takes an audience willing to go on that journey with you. Yeah, and I uh, the other similarity is the community that I've built and am yes. still building. But there there is the feeling that the people in this room, it's not just people that are going to a concert because they feel like getting out for the night. These are people that really have a lot of them have been following me for a long time, and and I you know can recognize a lot of them, and and they know each other, cool. and there's there is a great community being being built that. Um, makes it feel like a very special night for them and for us. So yeah. That's how I, you build I, that you trust. Know, I mean, my agent said, to, he was like, this is kind of like a jam band experience, but it's just more focused. It's, it doesn't have sort of the, 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 you know, the only thing it doesn't really have is sort of the improvisational longer ex explorations of, of mm -hmm. music. It's, it's more song based and a little more and comedy and there's comedy, um, but but that fee that feeling in the room is similar to that kind of um, dead fish experience. Dead fish, <laughs> um, you know. I think that's a cover band. that that I think there should be room for. You know, it's just it is its own thing. It's hard to make comparisons like that because it is so singular. But um, I think what I aim for is to have these these shows, uh, future tours, feel that way for the audience. Well, I hope that there's some new dates on the horizon. Um, I, I think it's a really cool thing you're doing. Uh, again, man, thank you so much for your time today. This has been yeah. really exciting for me. Uh, high school, awesome. it's out now. It's on Space Bomb, a great record label, by the way, too, man. Like, yeah, really great. Really people. excited to see you working with them. That's that's very cool. Um, best of luck with all of the shit that you're up to, I, <laughs> you are, you are a very busy man. I know. And, and, uh, and it sounds like there's more music coming. So Tim, again, thanks. Man. Thanks. Take care. Yeah. Nice Be talking well. to you. Cheers. All right. Take care, Andy. Thank you. Bye Tim. Peace. Thanks man. This was great. Awesome. Bye. Peace. Talking on the phone while watching the same movie. It's the only thing that's on it. Don't need much to me cause I'm writing a new song for the girl I just met in Florida who lives in Texas in a town called Odessa. I'm sitting here wondering, can't get it out of my mind. What do we do with our time? What do we do with our time? How did we kill off the hours? What did we spend our days doing? What did we do?
and we've reached the end of this episode of the Jambase podcast. Many thanks to all of you out there for listening. Thanks to Tim Heidecker for taking the time to talk with me. His excellent new album, High School, is available now. Definitely check it out. Thanks to our sponsors, Psychedelic Art Exchange and So Far Sounds. Thanks, as always, to Jake Alexander for helping put the episode together. We'll be back soon with another insightful interview. In the meantime, stay safe out there and go see live music.